Hey lads, alone here. No regular pod this week as we have to suffer through the doldrums of an international break together. What we do have, though, is a continuation of our Fireside Chat series, and today's is with Dr. Renee Miller, a neuroscientist and the author of the book Cognitive Bias in Fantasy Sports. Is your brain sabotaging your team? But first, a quick word from an actual sponsor featuring the one and only producer, Nate. From the author of Memoirs of a Douchebag, an American male whore in Tokyo, comes a new 66-page adventure entitled The Star's Fault, where in parallel short stories, Fan, a tenacious 10-year-old, fights for his life, while Vault, the captain of a space pioneer squadron, fights for the survival of his species. It's one part parody, two parts mind screw, and three parts the best words. It will make you laugh, cry, and question the nature of the universe, or maybe it won't. Regardless, it's free on Amazon today, August 29th, and tomorrow, August 30th. So download your Kindle copy now, or don't. Listeners, welcome to another FML FPL Fireside Chat. I'm honored to have Dr. Renee Miller on the show today, a neuroscientist and the author of the book Cognitive Bias in Fantasy Sports. Is your brain sabotaging your team? Hi, Renee. How are you? Hi, Alan. Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, our pleasure. Um, so I want to start macro before we really dig into the specific biases and fallacies and how they may be affecting us. But So what is a cognitive bias? A cognitive bias is really something that's going on in your brain that's causing you to make a less than logical, rational decision uh, without you knowing it. So it's kind of like your your brain playing a little trick on you, um, making you think you're doing something very smart or clever uh, when in reality you're uh, relying on some bias or shortcut in your brain. A lot of these biases are just your brain's way of being lazy. Yeah, it's it's so frustrating, right? Because you think you're being smart all the time and then you're maybe right. not. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm careful to say that it's a it's a trick or a shortcut, but it doesn't, oh, cognitive biases don't always lead to bad decisions. Uh, but the But the process by which you get to the decision isn't always what you think it is. So it's not always that a cognitive bias is going to lead you down a, a bad path and make you do something uh, that you didn't want to do. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't still have them. Um, you know, evolutionarily, they wouldn't exist if they right. were always bad. That makes, of- yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's important, I think, also for listeners because it. a lot of times I feel like bias in general is framed as a negative word, but... You know, you might like a particular player more than another player simply because he's better, and then that would be an example of just you biasing towards the better decision, I guess, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So you mostly write about American football. What other sports do you do you play? Uh, I play uh, daily fantasy, baseball, basketball, and football, sometimes golf, uh, and I write about basketball and NFL. Love it. All American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll call it soccer on the spot if I have to bring it up. I think that's legal. In this my, brother, my brother's a big EPL fan, and 
soccer fan and has been trying to get me to play fantasy for a long time, but it's such a, a big player pool to learn and I'm just yeah. intimidated. Yeah. I mean, I, it's so fun. I play all the American fantasy sports too. I have for a really long time, but FPL or fantasy premier league is just, um, I don't know. It just, it just does it for me for whatever reason. But, yeah. um, all right, let's continue. So let's go through some of the major specific biases that were covered in your book, what they are and how they apply to fantasy sports. And let's start with the first one, which is confirmation bias. Yeah, confirmation bias is one of these ones that's um, not always going to be very uh, harmful or negative to you. And it, it applies to really all areas of our life. In my book, I use a car buying example Basically, the confirmation bias is just you telling yourself that you're doing research to arrive at a decision when really you already have your mind made up and you're doing research to make sure that other people agree with you that your decision is right. Um, so we can we can do it when we bring a friend shopping with us. Do you like these jeans? Do you like how they look? Do you think they look good? I mean, when you have every intention of buying them, you're not really right. seeking an opinion um, we do the same thing with fantasy players. You know, I really want to start Aaron Rodgers this week, but um, I don't know, maybe Russell Wilson is the better play this week. So you read all these articles, um, but you really only pay attention to the ones that say Aaron Rodgers is the better play. You're just confirming the decision that you've already made. So it makes you a little bit more confident in your decision, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the decision is wrong. It's just you're fooling yourself if you think you're doing research. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And yeah. and fantasy premier league's just like the other fantasy games where people are, you know, constantly tweeting, emailing, etc. about which player to start, which move to make, blah blah blah. So how do we protect ourselves I guess from confirmation bias in in those moments when we actually genuinely want someone's opinion but we don't know that our brain is is doing that. Yeah. I mean, you have to keep an open mind and, and a lot of, um, I'll, I may say it more than once, just being aware that these things are going on in your head goes a long way toward avoiding them or embracing them. You could say, you know what? No, I really want to start Aaron Rodgers and I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm doing and I don't care. Um, and there's something to that. Fantasy should be fun. So you should start the players that you want to start. Um, but if you're not sure and you are looking for advice, take the advice that you find. Right. You know, eight out of ten people recommend another player than the one you want, and you're really not sure. Go, you know, and, and you've sought out that advice. Take it. I try to keep that rule to myself. Like, I do all my own research for the articles that I write and come to my own conclusions about pay, uh, players, regardless of the sport. Um, but when I when I do have a conundrum or I do want to call somebody or ask their opinion and I respect their opinion, I take it. I, mm. you know, I think I kind of owe it to myself and them if they're going to take the time to give the advice to listen to it. Right. And I think both of those lessons are important because on the podcast, we always say, just get the players you like, have fun, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it, it works both ways. If you're actually seeking advice, if you're, you know, texting your group thread of friends or should I get this guy or this guy and then you're just planning on ignoring them and doing whatever you want then that's just a waste of everyone's time but really yeah but gut feelings feel good <laughs> they're they yeah. are more fun you do 
well, we'll see. A lot of these biases feel good. That's why we do them. That's why we do them. <laughs> Damn it. Um, all right. So next up is primacy and recency bias. And this was one of the ones that I was struggling most with because, well, why don't you go ahead and tell us what, what they are first? Sure. Um, again, primacy and recency biases don't necessarily lead you to the wrong decision, but they affect how you weight information. So whenever you have a sequence of events, like a season of, of sports where one game follows the other, um, the two games or performances, player performances that are going to stick out most in your head and influence your opinion and decision the most are the first one and the most recent one. And this is uh, originally shown in psychology with people memorizing or trying to memorize word lists where they'll um, view or be read a list of words and then, you know, two minutes later ask to write down as many words as they can. And most people will write down the last word that was said and the first word that was said. And it's like this really steep bell-shaped curve where everything in the middle is just kind of lost. Um, and there's, there's some caveats to that. If the words have, um, really strong emotional content, good or bad, those words tend to be remembered a little bit better. Um, so, so applied to fantasy sports if a player on your favorite team does something in the middle of the season, that's likely to stand out to you a little bit more than somebody on a team you don't follow as closely. Um, but in reality, in the course of a sports season, one game isn't necessarily more valuable information than any other game. Uh, we just weight it like that in our heads. So, um, you know, if somebody hits three home runs or the, that's for two, let's say two home runs on the, on the opening game of baseball season, it's going to be in our head that he's a good player and we're going to want to use him more than we maybe should based on either his career or everything that happens since then. Right. And that all makes perfect sense to me. And it, it almost seems logical, you know, that the most recent thing is is what comes up first or the first moment, because like you said, it's an emotional response, right? So you I know you brought up in your book, like you we're looking forward to the start of the season so much and there's so much like tinkering with our lineups and blah 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 that the first game or game week is just like that will weigh heavier in our brains. And that makes sense to me, but the thing that I struggled with with the recency bias and primacy is that, you know, in one of your chapters you said you want to ride a hot streak, avoid a cold streak. And in soccer, the equivalent would be being in form, or you know, player in form means he's playing really well and he's hot and has momentum, whatever. So I'm just having trouble differentiating, right, a player who's in form versus. Is my brain just clouding my decision, and I'm making a decision based on recency bias? You know, that's it's a, it's a thin line, right? So I say that you want to take advantage of a hot streak and avoid a cold streak, but the truth is, those are not predictable. So you can't you can't do that. And if you tell yourself you're doing that, you're always looking back instead of looking forward. So in fantasy, you always want to think about who's going to be hot this coming week. Um, and not who was hot yesterday or last week, mm. who has the best chance to succeed given the current new set of circumstances, weather, pitcher, defense, whatever the um, circumstances of the fantasy um, sport are. Um, so you do yourself a disservice by just looking back uh, mm-hmm. in terms of at one game or one week or even three games 
because those streaks, we all know that they exist, but it's impossible to predict how long they're going to last, cold or hot streaks. Right. Yeah, that's fair. It's and a it's, tricky game. Yeah, and it's not always about, I mean, it, it really, it makes perfect sense if you think about like recency bias in terms of evolution, if you, you know, went to a field and found berries growing there yesterday, it makes sense to go back to that same field today and hope that there's going to be berries there. That That's sensible. If we um, have gone to the same restaurant and it's always been good and we go one time and the food is terrible and makes us sick, we're probably not going to go back. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's just that was the most recent experience we had. It was bad. Now we're going to avoid it. Um, even though it was good for maybe three years before that. Um, it's just this this kind of thing that you can find examples in all areas of your life. You're, yeah, you're making me think so many life decisions as we as we talk. <laughs> this is a deep, deep pod. Um, <laughs> all right, next up is framing. So... How do we detect framing, avoid framing? You know, I'm I'm supposedly giving advice, <laughs> good or bad, on our podcast. How do I make sure that I'm not framing information on on our podcast? Right, you make a good point there that it's really the the people providing the information that are responsible for the framing, um, and and we all do it. We sort of have to. There's like infinite amount of information out there, statistical and otherwise. Uh, so you can only present some of it and you're going to present it in such a way that it's, you know, that supports your opinion, um, about a certain player. And that's, that's all that framing is. Uh, it's the idea that you're not presenting all the, or you're not presented all the information, but only the information that supports an existing belief. Um, so every, every fantasy sports writer does, does it all the time, um, you just have to be aware that it exists and that when somebody tells you to, you know, play a certain guy and, and gives you the reasons why, um, that that information might not be the whole story. And the, the flags for me are when the statistics start to get very contextual, like, oh, this guy tends to score when his team, you know, he's scored three times when his team is losing by four runs or more. And it's like, well, is that really the statistic you had to reach to, to convince me that this guy is a good player? Right. Does that actually have anything to do with his, his production or his, yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's one clue that maybe you're not getting the whole story. Um, but I'm sure there's lots of examples, uh, that you can think of too. The, the, uh, medical ones, and I don't think you hear it too much anymore are like, four out of five doctors recommend. Well, that means that 20% of doctors don't recommend whatever the thing is. Or um, this surgery has a 90% success rate. That means 10% of the time it doesn't work. And when you're thinking about spending $80,000 on a surgery uh, with a long recovery that has a 10% chance of not working, you know, if they told you that, you would maybe consider it a little bit differently. Yeah, it doesn't sound as good anymore. Yeah, lost its shine. Um, the endowment effect is one that I like, and it, it's really relevant because uh, fantasy Premier League's like a salary cap style game. You're not like not like fantasy American football, where you know you draft and have your own players. Everyone can technically have the same team, 
and mm-hmm. you're selling and buying players throughout the season. So what's the endowment effect? Yeah, the endowment effect really, I think it relates really well to fantasy and also to things like the stock market. It is the idea that you value something at a higher level when you have invested in it, when you own it, than you would if it was um, owned by someone else or you know on the shelf. So it, it plays into player valuations, really, and uh, is named because you endow the items that you have personally invested in um, with, with more value than they're probably worth. So, uh, you know, in fantasy sports, we say, well, someone's worth what they'll pay for, what, what they're, you know, what people will pay for them. And that's true of all kind of items in the, in the world, in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you've made a decision to roster a player, to, you know, pay a certain contract, to, um, you know, draft a player for your team, you now have a higher opinion of that player than anybody that didn't draft them or buy them. So it comes into play a lot when you're trying to make trades um, or when you're trying to decide who to sit or start or drop or pick up. We hate to admit that our investments were poor, uh, basically. So once we invest in something, whether it's a, a, a car or a house or a girlfriend or boyfriend, we... Uh, make ourselves feel good about that decision by altering the value. You know, maybe there were three cars that were pretty much equally good and, you know, we kind of arbitrarily made a decision to buy one over the other uh, on the day that we made the purchase. But a week later, if someone asked us, well, how do you feel about these three cars? You would say the one that you bought was heads and shoulders above the other two. You made the clearly right decision there. Clearly, yeah. You have (laughs) You have the power. Um, yeah, I definitely suffer from the endowment effect all the time in fantasy, I think. And I don't know, I kind of reason it that I'm being patient, which is another fine line to separate the endowment effect from patience. But our, our listeners will know that I didn't get rid of this guy called Jerry D, who ended up not even playing this week, and it burned me, and I should have gotten rid of him, but... It was probably me just holding on to him because I probably valued him higher than people who don't even have him, who were all telling me to get rid of him, and I and I didn't. So yeah, you have to just admit your mistakes and remedy it. Don't talk yourselves into your own mistakes, I guess, right? Yep, exactly. And know that when you're trying to make a trade that um, you're going to have a hard, harder time parting. You know, you're going to set a higher price on the guy that you're parting with than the person who's buying most likely, mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. So try to uh, recognize when people are, are doing that to you or you're doing that to your league mates and stuff like that. Yeah, that's tricky. Um, next one is outcome bias, which is one that felt kind of therapeutic to me. <laughs> yeah. So when we, um, when we act, we think about our different choices ahead of time, our different possible courses of action, and choose one based on the best information we have at the time. Hopefully, you know, using all these tricks to avoid bias and doing real research and making logical decisions. And then something happens, you know, then we get the job or, you know, we buy the car that lasts for 15 years or we draft the fantasy team that wins the championship. And we judge the decision that we made on that outcome. 
whatever it is. When that outcome, you know, might have been influenced by stuff that's maybe not in our control, um, we have a hard time distinguishing good decisions from bad decisions at the time that we made them. We wait and to see what the result was and then say, oh, I made a really crappy lineup today. You know, and it might be crappy because uh, one of the games that you had players in got rained out and one guy broke his leg sliding into second. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why your lineup could have turned out to be crappy uh, that don't have anything to do with the reasons why you selected the players that you did. This one, um, so it's kind of a, it's a perspective. Like you said, it's kind of therapeutic. It helps you keep a perspective on that. If you take care to make good decisions, um, sometimes the, you have to know that sometimes those good decisions are going to lead to bad outcomes. Um, but altering your decision process to try to chase good outcomes, good past outcomes is almost always going to lead you to failure. Exactly. So yeah. Keep, keep the faith that your decision making is generally good. Um, and sometimes it will fail, but more often it will succeed. Right. And, and the caveat to that is that if your decision making process mostly fails, <laughs> well, then you're, you're not good. Yeah. <laughs> you should find other routes of research and decision making, yeah. or maybe just listen to somebody else. Stop texting your brother who's giving you bad advice. But um, no, yeah, outcome bias. It's like in the FPL community, how we talk to each other and how we console each other is, is basically the outcome bias. It's. Mm-hmm. Okay, dude, you had a bad week, you made good decisions, you got unlucky, blah, blah, blah. That, that is outcome bias in its, es- in its essence because yeah. from, the outside, from an outsider's perspective, we can see, you know, you got this guy in, he hit the post twice, he should have scored, he got a lot of chances, he's on a good team, he's good, it sucks it didn't work out. But when it happens to you, it just feels like, God damn it, I'm an idiot. I should have got this other guy, like blah, blah, blah. So We even tell ourselves, I knew I shouldn't have played him. I knew I shouldn't have got him. I had the gut feeling. (laughs) Which isn't true. It's such (laughs) bullshit. It is complete bullshit. Yeah, we didn't know anything. And then when, as you said, when, when the good outcome happens, like I'm thinking about this goalie on a team called Hull, that almost kept a clean sheet against Manchester United. And I know every single guy who started that goal, he would have been like, yeah, I knew it. I had the gut feeling he's going to keep a clean sheet. He's great, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay. You got completely <laughs> right. lucky. That is bullshit. But anyway. I know I, enough about Man U to, to get that. You know they're good. Yeah, they're yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> And Hull's not good. But, um, okay, so the next is omission bias, which is where I tailed off to accidentally. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of brought it up earlier when you 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 said you kept uh, kept on with a guy who ended up not playing this week. Um, yeah. So omission bias is the idea that we think it's better to um, kind of stand idly by and not do anything than it is to do something harmful. So in psychology, the, um, the kind of gruesome uh, picture that, that they paint with this bias is 
um, somebody that actively pushes somebody in front of a train versus somebody that fails to help a person that has fallen down on train tracks when there's a train coming. Um, so one is actively, you know, causing death or demise or saving. You could say murdering them, killing murdering them. them. Yeah. Um, and the others are just kind of passively watching somebody die of, you know, of their own misfortune. And so most of us are likely to, you know, if you're asked then to uh, assign a punishment to these two different people, we will punish the murderer uh, much more severely than the passive bystander who could have who could have intervened, who could have saved a life, but didn't. Um, and that's basically the essence of the omission bias is that um, and, and how it relates to fantasy sports is that sometimes you have guys uh, that are in the game the whole time and they do take the shots, but they miss every time they miss every shot. Um, but they're, they're in the game. They have their foot on the ball, um, versus a guy on the bench. That's maybe a, he's a great prospect, but he really doesn't get very much playing time. He's waiting for an injury. And, um, you need to drop one of these guys to pick up a goalie. So, uh, who are you going to drop? Are you going to drop the guy that, gets all the minutes, but maddeningly never scores. He's actively hurting your team by being out there and missing shots. Or are you going to drop the guy with, you know, maybe a lot of potential, but he doesn't ever get on the field. A lot of people will drop the guy that has been pissing them off for weeks, not scoring (laughs) in American football, the guy that's on the field all the time, but getting you minus two because he fumbles every single week. I mean, uh, I just I just finished watching a match with this defender who literally everyone in the community hates right now because he, he sucks, <laughs> but he's starting on a really, really good team, and we shouldn't drop him. Yep. He will do well, but damn it, I almost got rid of him before we even talked, but okay, <laughs> you're convincing me <laughs> not to. Right there. It, it, you should absolutely drop the guy on the bench that has no chance of contributing, you know, in the current circumstances, and maybe unless there's an injury or... You know, the team just totally gives up and decides to play all their young players um, to get them practice. Um, you have to you have to punish the guy that's not the bystander, the guy that's not doing anything, the passive guy. Right. Because eventually the guy on the field is the only guy that has a chance to score. John Stones, I hope you're listening. Manchester City defender. <laughs> yeah, I liked the quote you had in the book on this, which is it, it applies to every sport, like you said, and definitely true in fantasy Premier League, which is, in truth, the guy who is more involved is almost always better, almost always the better option. Can't score points if you don't touch the ball. Potential success is directly related to opportunity in any sport. And it's just so true. It's just spot on. Yep. So I'm, I highlighted that one. Next up, I call the fun bias, but it's the self-serving bias. Um, yeah, we touched on this one a little bit, too. And, and you can see how these things kind of all flow together in your head um, and are related to each other. But this is you uh, making yourself feel good about your decisions, regardless of how they turn out. So if you uh, do your research and pick up a player and use them and he does good, you pat yourself on the back. Uh, for how smart you are for picking him up. And if he goes out and puts up a dud, a terrible game, then you blame whoever recommended him. So this is very self-serving no matter how it turns out. We come out feeling good uh, about ourselves. Either we made a great move or somebody else is stupid and it's their fault. 
for recommending him. (laughs) Yeah, claiming more responsibility for your success, that's a problem. Yep. And, and, you know, it's very frustrating. I'm pretty, I consider myself pretty lucky on Twitter because I do give advice and I have had very little backlash when people, you know, that I recommend don't do well. And I I think I do a pretty good job of, I'm a scientist in my um, day job, so I'm really big on evidence supporting theories. So when I do recommend a player, I try to have a bunch of different reasons why I'm recommending him. And I don't, maybe that helps defray some of this self-serving bias of you're so stupid. I can't believe you recommend. (laughs) But also how, what percent, what percent are just asking you with confirmation bias in mind and they're not listening to your opinion anyway, and they're doing whatever they want. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't even know, but yeah, I'm going to, I'll follow your advice. We have the NFL season coming up and I have, Absolutely no research done at all. So <laughs> it's coming less than two weeks. Oh, it's coming. Um, last but not least in the book is the pseudo certainty effect. Yeah, this is the one that um, no one's ever heard of. Uh, when I started uh, going into this kind of uh, research, I was actually teaching a class about bias um, during my fantasy football playoffs. You know four, maybe even five years ago now. Um, and I, it just struck me in the middle of this class how many of these things I was doing wrong with my fantasy team. And I thought, wow, I'm an actual neuroscientist and study this stuff and I'm doing all these things. I bet. <laughs> um, but even at that point, um, I had never heard of the pseudo-certainty effect. It's a little bit of an oddball. Um, but I think you'll recognize this one in your daily life too. It's basically the idea of uh, how well you can predict the future is going to determine what kind of action you take now. So when things are going really well, your fantasy team is cruising, everyone's awesome, uh, your best bet is to not rock the boat. Keep, Keep on the path that you're on. Don't do anything drastic. Don't make a bunch of trades. Don't mix things up. Um, even though you might be bored. It's it's actually kind of interesting. People with really good teams that just kind of, and it doesn't happen too often, but when you just draft that perfect team and every late round pick turns out to have a great role and super talented and no one gets hurt um, and you're just cruising, that can be really boring for some people. Oh, it happens all the time in fantasy Premier League, much more than American fantasy because you have every player at your disposal since it's salary cap style. So you could be cruising and doing pretty well and have, you know, like a great striker or whatever, but there's so many other great strikers you can get because you have access to everybody. So it's even more relevant in in fantasy soccer. Right. And if you have the kind of personality where that just, that's just boring, that's not why you play, you want to be shifting things up and actively managing and stuff, you can really screw yourself up. Um, And then on the other hand, though, if everything you did on draft day completely backfires and you have injuries and you have players getting suspended and you have players that just suck um, and you're really feeling like your back is against the wall, if you're to save your season, that is the time when you should make the most outlandish dramatic moves. Trade your first round pick. Trade your best player. Try to... Um, shift things up and be really active on the waiver wire and, um, you know, take the, take the long shots. You're really shooting for the stars. 
um, in a, in a dramatic way, taking many more risks, um, when you're in a bad position and the, and the future is uncertain. Um, so the, all these little catchphrases you hear, you hear them a lot in gambling and casinos, when the chips are down, when your back's against the wall, those kind of things, you know, go high or go home. Um, you recognize this principle of the pseudo certainty effect, even if you don't know what it's called, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's almost just simply when is it good to make a risky decision? When is it bad to be too safe? Uh, you know, I like in, in your book, you said being patient is as much a strategy as starting a new lineup every week, which is mm-hmm. so true and kind of plays into the boredom thing that you just mentioned because it's a little bit boring to have maybe the same guys every week. But if you're doing well, there, basically there will come a time during the season when you have to make moves. Mm-hmm. Just wait it out. If you have good guys, there's no reason to panic if you're cruising. And then, yeah, I don't know. It reminds me of a now very, very dated expression. Nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Playing it safe is is not always bad if you're ahead. Um, it's also comforting in this chapter to know that even a PhD deals with bad fantasy seasons like we do. <laughs> And I I quote, I pretty much just drink a lot and yelled at all my electronic devices. (laughs) Yeah, that's still true. The book's a couple years old, but... (laughs) Yeah, some things you never lose. Yeah. Um, So that covers all the the major biases from your book, but if if we could, I'd like to talk about one more, which is one that we bring up on the pod a lot, which is uh, gambler's fallacy. Yeah, tell me how you guys uh, apply it. We apply it because, I mean, it, it kind of relates to a lot of these biases where we're, let me try and word this well, we're trying to predict a player's future performances based purely on their past performances mm. when they may not actually overlap in any way. So if some guy is scoring a goal every single game, the people who don't have him are just waiting around and not picking him up because they're like, well, he's not going to score every game. He'll eventually go cold. So I'm just going to keep the guy I have versus, you know, the player who isn't scoring ever but is historically good, you might keep on your team also because you're thinking, well, he hasn't scored yet, so he's due, which maybe is more of a baseball term, but he's due to score these goals because... You know, he scored 20 goals every season, the last couple of seasons, and he hasn't scored yet, even though maybe you should have already moved on from him. Right. So you hear it a lot. Also, people will talk about regression uh, in in sports. Absolutely. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, there is a mean. You have to trust, first of all, or assume, first of all, that there is some sort of mean uh, performance, whether it's 20 goals or 20 home runs or 30 stolen bases or whatever. Um, that a player will regress to. And if they haven't approached that number yet, (laughs) then they're due and it's coming. Um, But if they've already exceeded it, then it's probably not going to continue. So, yeah, I I, I think this one is uh, best just to be aware that it exists and that you might be doing it. It ties in a little bit with recency effect and what I was saying about hot streaks and cold streaks that they happen and they're not predictable. Um, and it, it always just pays to have as much of the context as, 
as possible. I know some people in baseball will use three years worth of hitter statistics um, to evaluate the hitter's performance, and a lot of people will use one week's worth of uh, wow. performances. So I think in the, in the big picture of um, gambler's fallacy, um, the, the coin flip is the obvious one or the roulette wheel. If um, A lot of people want to make their decision based on a really small sample size and make predictions about, oh, if there's been four heads, it's going to be tails next time for sure. Um, but five coin flips isn't a big enough sample size to see the true pattern. You need 5,000 or 500. Um, and it's the same thing with football games. You don't want to um, make predictions based on two or three games of what's going to happen next. Um because it is a whole season or a whole career for a player to, you know, demonstrate what their true mean is. Right, and and as you said, five coin flips or a thousand coin flips are mutually exclusive from the next five or one thousand coin flips. Yep. So, don't read into it too much at the same time. But um, great, awesome, thanks. That's it. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Where can people buy the book and where can people follow you on social media and all those type of things? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at ReneeMiller01. And there's a link in my profile to Gumroad where I sell the book myself. You can find it also on Amazon, Cognitive Bias in Fantasy Sports. Um, and I Twitter is the best place to find me. Um, I'm I'm on there a lot, and I always post links to my articles and stuff on on Twitter. Awesome! So it'd be better to buy the book from you than Amazon, I assume, right? From my perspective, yes. Well, yeah, that's all we <laughs> care about. <laughs> I don't care about Amazon. All yeah. right, yeah, I'll link I'll link to your site in the uh, description of the show, and then also, are there any of your lectures or classes available online? Um. There aren't. I do have, um, actually, I just did a, a nice three-part video series about all this with visuals uh, for a site called Roster Coach that I'm working with this fall. It's a new site, rostercoach.com. Uh, you can watch my three-part video on decision-making and bias there. And I'm also going to be a coach for them. So people that are interested in getting kind of one-on-one -on -one advice about either about specific players and lineups um, which I do, or more of a big picture, how am I approaching the game? What games are best for me? This is what I want to accomplish. How can I help you know how can I help you do that? Right. So Raster Coach is a place where you could see uh, some of this stuff. All my all my classes I teach at the university though are not uh, available online. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Cool. Bye.